Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and, and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey, and you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. Mr. Carlson, welcome. Mr. Malzone, thank you for having me. Yeah, man, uh, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoy our conversations and this is going to be a lot of fun for me. So uh, I think, I'll, you know, how I know you, right, is through the 10X Factory, which is just an amazing online community of entrepreneurs and founders. Uh, I've got a ton of value out of it and had the opportunity to get to know you uh, and what you do. And, you know, I've obviously you have made quite a name for yourself, uh, very, you know, rightfully so as a, as a digital marketer, and we'll get into that. But I've also been always, uh, nothing really short of blown away by your insights on, on business and, and how markets are changing and where the opportunities are. So there, there's a lot to talk about here. And I would love, because I don't really know, man, I, I would love to hear your backstory. Like, how did you get to, to be this digital marketer stud and, and founder of 10X Factory and all the things you do? Very cool. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> it's a dirty story. And to be honest, I, I think a lot of uh, marketers kind of have that like dirty background. Mm. Um, but I started out as a marketer. I mean, um, when I started in the industry, I was doing DRTV advertising, which is kind of the advertising that you think about late at night or screens at you, you know, hey, buy this 1999 thing. And <laughs> when I started, um, you know, I've done everything. I did everything from uh, payday loans to uh, note credit check computers to education legion, all these things that um, candidly you tell some people when they shake your hand and immediately they want to take a bath. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the way that I started my, um, my career is I, I got into marketing, but what was really cool is I was able to spend a lot of money very quickly. So uh, I started working for this one marketing firm. And when I came in as a marketing coordinator, I think I was spending somewhere around like 40, 50,000 uh, bucks a week uh, managing uh, these things called call transfers and some radio advertising. And within about six months, that had increased to a point that I was managing internet, TV, radio, all this other type of stuff, and managing a budget that was closer to $2 million a month. And for me, it became very addictive because uh, you could see doing digital mark or doing marketing at that time, um, how you could input dollars and kind of change a business. And I absolutely fell in love with that. It kind of felt like I was a, an investor. Um, and from there, uh, I went into private equity. Uh, we would launch a lot of different businesses. I was the CMO of that company for about six years. Uh, and then eventually went out on my own. Uh, did a lot of e-commerce, uh, grew a lot of e-commerce brands very quickly. 
the one that I'm really known for uh, is helping a brand called Honey Killer uh, bootstrap from zero to eight figures. Uh, and now about three and a half years later, still bootstrap, uh, doing about $55 million AAR. Um, so uh, helped a lot of e-commerce companies. And then eventually with 10X Factory, I uh, ran into the founder of Big Commerce. Uh, we hit it off and came up with this idea for an entrepreneurship community that was online. Um, we had joined a couple local groups for entrepreneurs and we ran into a lot of challenges. Uh, local groups for entrepreneurs are kind of dependent on your location. Uh, they're dependent on the people. And a lot of times you'll end up in locations where um, it's much more of like a brick and mortar type business versus people that are doing digital advertising or know how to manage remote teams. And we were just having different challenges and uh, we launched that and grew that to a thousand plus person community within I think the six month period or so. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of the story in a very, very short, <laughs> shortened version of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And I, I was, you know, I spent a lot of time in the 10 X factory too. And someone described it as like a virtual co-working space the other day. I'm like, that's, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Especially, you know, today's recording is May 13, 2020. So we're in the middle of whatever it is that's going on. Um, but it's different, you know, with this pandemic and how it's affecting things and the way that people are working. So it's been interesting. And I would imagine too, the 10X factory is, is seeing some uptick at this time, just due to people wanting to connect and, and looking to, yeah, to network. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you see a lot of people, I mean, I know a lot of people that would have said, I would never, ever do anything remotely, uh, ever. And you're seeing a lot of these people now realize the power of remote and kind of realizing that relationships don't necessarily have to be within your local boundaries. Um, and we're seeing a lot of people look for that community, looking for leadership, looking for guidance from other entrepreneurs. And they realize that the camaraderie that you can build in person can actually happen remotely. Uh, I always joke with my wife that um, with 10X and just everything that I've done in my life that um, I can go to basically any city and have friends. I mean, <laughs> I can go visit uh, you anytime. And, and I'm sure there's probably two or three other people, even despite you being in a pretty remote location, <laughs> that we could all go out to dinner with. So, um, yeah, we're seeing an uptick, it's, and it's very cool. And I think it definitely speaks to the times. Yeah, it is interesting. And, you know, me being a guy who's been working remotely now for almost three years, coming from a brick and mortar and, and local community, it's, I, I don't, I don't feel, you know, I, I, I can't go grab a beer with Carlson. Right. And that's, that's unfortunate. That's just the way things are. But I do feel like, I don't feel like there's anything necessary lacking in my friendship with Carlson. Right. I'm um, speaking mm -hmm. about you like you're not here. Uh, but you know, it's, it, there's a lot that can be done remotely. And I think for me personally, like I have been known now as someone who has a lot of relationships, has a big network within the fitness and health industry. And I didn't do it by going around shaking people's hands, man. I just went and did it by having conversations over Zoom and phone calls. And it, it can be done very, very successfully. And uh, yeah, I think 10X is a great place. I met a lot of really interesting people there from, from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. So uh, what is, what is I would, through your digital marketing career, what is one of the most unsexy things that you've marketed and sold um, that has done extremely well? So it's funny that you say unsexy because unsexy businesses are the sexy businesses to me. <laughs> I always, I always joke with a lot of my friends that I want a business that um, 
this quiet and unsexy. And what really turned me on to that is that we've done quite a few of them. And one of the ones that we did was actually independent pharmacy supplier. Uh, and the independent pharmacy su supplier uh, did these things called short dated drugs, right? Short dated drugs are drugs that basically have an expiration date, I think somewhere between six months and a year. And uh, usually these drugs either get thrown out and you don't make any money on them or you return them to a supplier for a potential rebate if you bought them in a certain way. And what's really cool about these drugs is that they're still stuff that you can sell to consumers, right? So if you look at a lot of drugs that people get at independent pharmacies, I mean, if you're getting antibiotics or you're getting allergy medicine, it's stuff that has high turnover. It's stuff that you're going to use in 30 to 90 days, right? So even if it's short dated, it's not really a problem. Um, so we were able to offer short dated drugs to these independent pharmacies so that they could essentially get drugs for 80% off of what retail would be and compete with these big chains like CDS and all these other guys. And the way that we did it was 100% a digital strategy. Um, they had one like sales rep slash customer service person. They did shared fulfillment with their main wholesaler, uh, but 100% of lead gen and, and the repeat orders was based on uh, actually uh, doing digital advertising. And we did Facebook advertising along with uh, some cold email. And within a year, uh, I think it was like month 13 or so, uh, we had grown to about $2 million a month revenue. Uh, and that was based on a very, very small ad spend number. I mean, I think that we were spending anywhere between about five to 10K a month in advertising to acquire all those customers. And it was just this incredibly uh, profitable, but also like really well-serving business, right? Like these independent pharmacy owners are just getting it from uh, insurance rebates taking forever or insurance companies cutting them down or getting it from these chains where they can order a bunch of product and gave them the ability to compete. Uh, but also, you know, they're great customers. These are people that spend thousands of dollars with you every year. So you don't need a ton of customers to have this huge business. And I've always been attracted to businesses like that, whether it's construction supplies or medical supplies, all these businesses that are completely unsexy, they're sexy to me. Yeah, it's beautiful. How do you, is it one of those things that once you, like, let me use an example. I have a converted uh, van, like a Sprinter style van, right? And yeah. before I knew I wanted one, I didn't see them anywhere. And then when I decided that I wanted one, I saw them everywhere right? Is that kind of what it's like with these unsexy businesses for you? Did you, once you know what you're looking for, are they everywhere or do you have to go hunting for them? How do you find them? I forget the term for it. So I'm probably going to butcher it, but I think there's something called a reticular recognition. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. 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 That's <laughs> um, it. You're on it. Yeah. Yep. Where if you see a red car on the road, you're going to think every car is red or if you buy a red car, you're going to think every car is red. Um, I think that there's definitely a piece of that. I mean, everything that you do in life, helps you gain better and better pattern recognition. And, you know, when we look at businesses that we digitally advertise for businesses that I want to invest in, you know, it's one of those things that I'm looking for certain things that hit the patterns that I know work. And one of the beauties of like, again, medical supplies or things like that is this is an industry that is old and archaic, right? Where like 
lot of people have a bunch of sales reps and they're probably even managing CRM, some of these guys on freaking index cards, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you look at them and they don't have the technology to keep up. They look at digital advertising, you know, uh, from the bottom of their nose. They look at it, look down on it. And they're not really seeing that next change. But at the same rate in time, if you look at this customer base, it's an identifiable customer base. It's not a consumer base. I will say consumers are, you run into more challenges with consumers, but they're also smaller dollars. But like you also look at the lifetime value of each one of these customers, and these are customers that could be spending six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars a year with you when you only have to acquire maybe a thousand of them to have a really great business. Um, versus, you know, if you were in e-commerce, you might have or consumer e-commerce, you might have to acquire a hundred thousand. So like when we look at these businesses, the reason I like unsexy, one, it's quiet, so it doesn't have the regulatory attention. Two, it's B2B. And when you go to B2B, you can do more digital marketing strategies. Uh, three, it has great unit economics. And four, these are people that aren't keeping up with technology, so you can bring technology and digital marketing practices. And five, they, um, <clears throat> when you acquire a customer in this space, if you're providing good service, they don't switch from you often. They don't churn. So those are things that I would basically say, well, that's a pattern. And then you start identifying those patterns in the businesses that you invest or work with. That's really interesting. So you have, when you, the, in the name of your agency is Sweatpants Agency, is that correct? It is correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, so is that, is that the criteria that you look for when you take on agency clients? Because I know you have to be selective. And sure. uh, it's a great place to be because you're, you know, well sought out digital marketer and, and you have to be selective of the, where you put your time. So how do you, how do you, what's the criteria for who you work with? Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> it's really important for us to kind of dig into the numbers with people that we work with because the way that we usually look at somebody that we bring on as a client is we look at it as an investment, right? And the reason I say that is I don't want to grow a big agency. We don't have to be a big agency. We could work with a dozen clients and create way more value than an agency that works with a hundred clients. Um, so when we look for clients, we basically look for people that have good unit economics. We'll ask them like, what's your uh, cost of goods? What's your margin? What's your repeat order rate? We start to dig into these numbers and look for those things that allow for marketing scale. Um, we look for other signals too, especially if you're on the consumer side, like, uh, does your advertising resonate with an open audience? Does it uh, resonate with larger and larger audiences on Facebook? And if it does, we can start to identify, hey, it's got a big addressable market. We can identify, hey, it's got a great repeat order rate. Or, you know, we walk through some of these things and we identify some of these things as bottlenecks that we can remove for the client and open up the market. Um, so we do a lot of like analysis kind of upfront, like, you know, what's your cost of acquisition, how much, uh, what's your repeat order rate, what's your cost of goods. Uh, so we can identify like what businesses that we work with when we're putting our advertising minds behind are going to have the biggest upsides, um, which are the ones that we can scale to a million dollars a month in ad spend and do it profitably, which we've done plenty of times. Um, those are the type of opportunities that we look for. I don't know if we have a set category. I will say that we work with a lot of subscription businesses. Uh, we work with a decent amount of like plant-based food. It's a good, 
good trend. Um, and we do work sometimes with B2B suppliers, whether it's dental or medical. That's really interesting. And I really like the thought or the mindset of looking at your clients as investments because it's, it's, it's just a, it's a powerful way to think, right? Like I'm not just going to take on any client. I, I think about this sometimes too, with, you know, what we do at level five mentors is, you know, would I actually invest in this company? Because I am investing in it, right? Mm-hmm. We're investing our time, our energy, our expertise in something. And we don't want to just, you know, spend our, our, you know, resources poorly. So that's, I think it's a really important concept that people can take away from this. And I'm, so sweatpants agency, <laughs> uh, the name, explain. <laughs> sure. So sweatpants agency uh, comes from a term that uh, my old business partner, David Tendridge coined called uh, sweatpants test. And in the crudest version of the explanation, the sweatpants test is when you go on a blind date, you show up on that date with a holy t-shirt, maybe mud on your clothes and sweatpants. And the person across the table on that blind date jumps across the table to jump on top. of you. <laughs> that is the sweatpants test. The sweatpants test is, can I show up with the least amount of effort and show that the market is hungry for something? And we've applied this approach to several things. And funny enough, actually in the last week, uh, two people that I'm close friends with have actually deployed sweatpants tests in new subscription box businesses. And they literally just put up landing pages for the subscription. Uh, and they were taking credit cards for the subscription to see what the cost of acquisition was, to see how hungry the market was for it. And based on that, they decided to start building out the full business. So an example of doing a sweatpants test and an example of the subscription, let's say they decide not to build out that full business. They would just basically test advertising against the landing page for a subscription box and then refund everybody. Uh, another example would be that um, one of my other business partners, uh, a guy named Eddie Makalani, you know, he had several SaaS businesses that he was looking at launching. And he actually put landing pages out for these and saw what the cost of acquisition was. And the beauty of this is if I wanted to launch a SaaS business, I could easily build out what the screenshots, everything looks like, run traffic against it and see what the cost of acquisition is. But on the back end, when somebody's signing up, I could easily send a message saying, hey, um, <clears throat> I went ahead and I refunded your money because uh, currently, uh, we're upgrading to V2, but I was curious what attracted you to our product in the first place. And you can find out from a customer research standpoint, like what are they looking for? And you can even offer in that message that you send back with the refund, like, hey, uh, for a $25 Amazon gift card, would you be willing to hop on the phone? So we think in all these little sweatpants test things, and this can be not just for new businesses, it can be for different product lines in your business, how you launch it versus building things completely out. And the reason I fell in love with the sweatpants test is it literally is a way for you to identify what's the best use of your time. Because ultimately as an entrepreneur, time is probably your most valuable asset. I mean, as a human being, time is probably your most valuable asset. And so it's really important to identify like, hey, do I have a business that can scale? Do I have a business that can hire employees and can sustain? Do I have a product that makes sense to launch uh, versus, you know, wasting money 
losing money on bad inventory, um, doing different things that eventually will lead to your, your demise as business or lead to lost opportunity costs. So, uh, yeah, that's what the sweatpants test is. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. And it's, I, I've seen it, I've seen it work. I've seen you do it. And yeah. I wonder like, what are we doing here? And then I, then I see the, the genius behind it. It's, it's brilliant. And this is coming from a guy who will do the complete opposite so many times in my career. I'm like, I think people want this. So I build it out, right? Do all the work, put money into it, and then figure out that, you know, it's met with crickets. And <laughs> I think that's right. how a lot of entrepreneurs go, you know, the ready, ready, fire, aim uh, model. But I, I think this makes, this makes a ton of sense. And, you know, there's another big topic I want to cover with you, Eric, is that uh, one of during our conversations and, you know, many of the enlightenments I've had from them is your focus on contrarian points of view in marketing. And it's interesting. And it, it comes through and like, especially if you see ads for 10 X factor, how you do it, <laughs> what, what does that explain that? How did that thought process, what is that thought process and how did you kind of get to it? So one, one question that I ask a lot of entrepreneurs is I ask them, what is your one, uh, strong contrarian view, right? And a lot of people might say something like uh, the education system is broken. I don't know if that's a good contrarian view, right? It's not specific enough and it probably has enough adoption. But <clears throat> I might ask you about when, you know, you used to do uh, own a gym, you, uh, you've done a lot of fitness training. I might ask you, you know, what's your one contrarian view? And you might say, um, it's, not about how much you eat, or it's not about how long you work out. You know, it's about the intensity, or it's about this, right? And <clears throat> what's the beauty of a contrarian view is that often if you have a contrarian view, there's a couple things that happen when you express that to somebody. One, you're kind of breaking the mold of what is the current status quo, right? But in addition, you're often confirming conspiracy theories that people already have. Like, you know, people might think, hey, well, I feel like this person's been lying to me the whole time anyways, right? <laughs> and if you can say, hey, they are lying to you, here's why, you immediately get buy-in and agreement, right? At Agor Financial, which is this huge financial publisher that I worked for for a bit, um, <clears throat> they used to have a, a, a theory that if we can, could confirm somebody's conspiracy, we could sell them anything. Right. And they would go into different things about politics and stuff like that. Like I think Obama was meeting the Saudis every week, if you ask Agora. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so <clears throat> the beauty of this contrarian view is that you're you're challenging the status quo, you're confirming the conspiracy, but then what you're offering afterwards is this future vision of this change that can happen, right? And when you combine all those things together, you kind of create really powerful marketing. So it's kind of an easy way to shortcut a lot of businesses in the way that they think. So <clears throat> the other powerful thing about it, and I think I've talked to you about this before, but like, I don't believe in unique selling propositions, right? A lot of marketers, they believe in unique selling propositions, but the truth is like Coke and Pepsi, they don't care about unique selling proposition. They only care about two things, right? And that is positioning, and concept of use, the ability for somebody to see themselves using the product as well as where they're positioned in the market. And when you give a contrarian view, a lot of times you are positioning yourself as well because you're actually saying, no, those other guys, they're lying to you. They're not telling you the truth. They're wrong. 
and you immediately create a position in the market for yourself. So it has a lot of sneaky marketing techniques built into it with just that one thought exercise. So, you know, for everybody listening, if you, if you have a thought about like, Hey, uh, how do I get better at my marketing? You might ask yourself, like, what is your one contrarian view about your business? What is your one contrarian view about what the service that you provide is about? Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I, I, one thing I get in trouble with within the fitness industry is I actually say that I think the fitness industry has made things overcomplicated simply to uh, prove the need for our existence. <laughs> and it's met, it's met with a lot of, uh, you know, I'll get some emails every once in a while, maybe a DM from somebody be like, Hey, what, you know, why did you say that? But it's true. You know, most people within, you know, their fitness and health, if they simply ate better, uh, took a walk every day, drank enough water and got more sleep, we could solve a lot of health problems and move people closer to their desired fitness level. We don't need, you know, we don't necessarily need periodized programming and blah, 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 you know, complications and, you know, compound movements and all that. That's cool. It's fun, but it's not necessary. And so can we dive into this a little bit more? Maybe you can give us like anecdotally something from a client that you've used of how you've taken the contrarian thought and applied it successfully. I mean, the exercise could be even applied to what you were just saying, right? Like, yeah, let's do it. I mean, listen, hey, uh, most diets fail because they're too complicated. You know, most weight loss programs fail because they're too complicated. Truth is, is that losing weight is very simple. And we've put together this blueprint that creates a very simple path. And it's about these three key ingredients and nothing else. And the reason, and because we simplify this, our clients get more results than everybody else because we're not trying to show some magic. We're not uh, chasing some trend. We're not creating a fad. What we are doing is using sound science, uh, sound solid science that has been proven to work for hundreds of years. Super, yeah. super simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and get to that example is what do people really need? They need accountability. Right. That's it. Right. That's, well, that, that's that could be a contrary view too. It's like, hey, listen, you know, most fitness programs don't don't fail because you don't have a plan. Most fitness programs fail because you don't have accountability. Yeah, and that's true. And that's one hundred percent true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. We just came up with a whole uh, a whole marketing plan for a product yet to be uh, yet to be produced. Yeah, I mean, listen. I'll, I'll, if you want another example, if you look at like 10 X yeah. factory, you know, we, we do a lot of fun stuff with that because you know, there's a lot of gurus out there. There's a lot of people that uh, try to put themselves out there and also people that run courses and a lot of them are about themselves. And if you look at what they do too, they, they rent mansions, they rent Bentleys, they do these things that are all about image rather than substance. And we play hard against that in our advertising, you know, like, Hey, where do real thing founders hang out? Well, I can tell you they're not hanging out in their rented mansion, <laughs> taking pictures in front of their rented Bentley or taking pictures with Instagram models. They're out there really growing their business and hanging out in 10 X factory. Yeah. I love that. One of my favorite quotes from you too. I think we were, uh, you came in and, and uh, joined a mastermind group that Ken and I run and uh, you're like, yeah, you know, you're, you're making fun of those people. You're like, I tell you what, I got a couple Lambos in my bank account right now. <laughs> I may not drive one. What do you drive? Like an old Nissan Sentra or something like that? Nissan Versa. Nissan Versa. And on Sorry. the side. And uh, I think, I think the mirror is broken a bit, but 
in, in full disclosure, I, I don't even drive that much. I mean, I work from home. I have a remote team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just not a priority for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, I like to dive into the life of an entrepreneur, you know, on the show too. And I think one of the biggest things, one of the things I've always noticed is that you get a room full of entrepreneurs and everyone becomes relatable to each other because, you know, uh, my wife, my, a lot of my friends, my family don't really understand what it's like to be an entrepreneur and the challenges, how it's different, you know, and how uh, every day you're kind of putting yourself out there in uncertainty and risk and no impossible objection. So it's, it's a different, it's a different lifestyle, right? Along your journey, Eric, what's been one of the biggest personal challenges related to entrepreneurship? (laughs) I mean, this is going to sound awful to say, but I mean, honestly, I think the path of entrepreneurship is very manic. Um, I don't know if I want to call it manic depression, but you basically go through a lot of ups and downs, right? Mm. There's so much flux in your life. Like, you know, I, I've made the joke, but it's not joking. You know, listen, I've, I've had months where I've made over a hundred thousand dollars and I've had months where I've lost $15,000, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I remember telling that to my sister for the first time because she works for the government. She asked me how I do what I do and like, oh, you know, you make so much money and it must be easy and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, let me ask you a question. (laughs) If one month you made X amount and then the next month you made minus 15,000, what would you do? And she goes, I could not do that. (laughs) She, She goes, I definitely couldn't do that. And like, that's the thing, right? Is I think the biggest challenge with entrepreneurship is that the highs are high, lows are low. And the trick is kind of stay kind of even keel throughout the whole process. But the other thing too, that I've always done to kind of resolve that bottleneck is like, it's really important to one, always know that you're in control of your own destiny, right? Like whenever I get knocked down, I get back up. Um, And I think that's super important. Like every time I walk, you know, had some hit immediately always gain more. And I think that's just motivation in me. But the other thing that I do a lot of is I talk to a lot of other entrepreneurs like you, like Ken, like a ton of people on 10X Factory. And having that level of connection with other people kind of talk about that journey of ups and downs and stuff like that. Um, it makes it easier for you to feel supported when you have your downs, but also these are the same people pushing you to have your ups again. So I think that's the biggest challenge is just, the cycle of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Is there anything I 100% agree, man. I I look (laughs) at like any given, I can look at a day, any given day. And there will be times when I will be so low. And then within five minutes or 10 minutes into a new conversation, I'm like, okay, I'm back. Right. I'm back. I'm (laughs) I'm feeling good. Uh, There's the world of opportunity is still there. It's not shut down. It's not disappeared. And I know a ton of people just, straight up that I mean in in personal conversations where you know curled up in a ball <laughs> basically rocking back and forth after a big hit that happens right uh, but I also know that those people you know after you know pitying themselves for 30 minutes or so they got back up and they dusted themselves off and grew a ton. and it's it's one of those funny things with entrepreneurship you literally if as long as you're constantly kind of putting yourself out there right? Looking for opportunities, having conversations that matter. You never know when a new opportunity is going to pop up, what email is going to come up in your inbox. And it's not one of those like, 
you know, woo woo, like the universe will come back. I'm not that kind of guy. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's true. Like I've literally been so down at some points that all of a sudden I'll get an email from somebody I haven't talked to in a year or two. And they're like, Hey, you know, I've been kind of following what you're up to. And I think I'd like to talk to you about X, Y, Z. You're like, Whoa, I'm back. Right. (laughs) Uh, How do you, uh, how do you deal with ups and downs personally? Do you have any like mental routines or things you do to kind of snap yourself out of it when you've taken a hit or how do you focus? How do you re I just get back on the horse. I am. Um, <laughs> I'm a huge Rocky fan. Nice. Um, and I think it was in Creed. Uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone talked about how boxing was nothing more than a competition of you versus you. And whenever I look at my downs, I realize that the only person that can crawl myself out of that down is me, right? And I realize that it's a competition of me versus me. Often it's a mindset thing, right? Um, am I going to sit here and wallow in my pity or am I going to go ahead and get back up and, and go? And I think that's a big part of it. I think the other part of it is what I've touched on, which is uh, having people to lean on, people to talk to. I mean, listen, if you know an entrepreneur that hasn't taken a big hit, um, I don't believe you. <laughs> like, yeah, like, right. <laughs> like everybody's had that moment. I mean, should I know businesses, you know, pushing nine figures almost. And like, you know, there's probably been two or three instances where that bank account was pretty darn low. Uh, And so everybody's had those moments. And so it's nice to have that support system too. And just hear the success stories of others, right? It's kind of like the four minute mile, right? Nobody thought that they could run a four minute mile until somebody ran a four minute mile. And then everybody started doing it. If you can talk to other entrepreneurs and say, and they say, hey, listen, I was in the same situation or I was even in a worse situation, but I was able to get out of it. They've now shown you that they can run the four-minute mile, so it makes it easier for you. Yeah, man, that's, that's beautiful. And that's uh, Creed, the movie? Creed, the movie, that yeah. That, that's the, uh, the, the updated version of Rocky. With, uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen Paul it yet. It's Creed's good, song. huh? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's good. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, personal challenges are, are definitely one thing in entrepreneurship, but you know, as of right now, you know, the, the day of the recording being mid May, 2020, what, what's the biggest need you have in, in your business and professional life? What's, what's something if people are listening that they can reach out to you if, if they have answers for you? Yeah. I mean, full, full disclosure. I mean, honestly, I learned a framework a while back from my business party uh, partner, Eddie Makalani called the one challenge framework. And all it is, is basically thinking about what your top challenge in your business is. And ever since implementing that framework, I don't really have a lot of challenges in my business because I always know what I'm working towards and always know what I'm fixing because I always focus on that one thing. And it's a really easy mental framework because uh, I'll even stack onto that. He also says that there's two ways to solve a problem. It's with a who or a what, right? So one of the problems right now that I'm solving for is, um, you know, we wanted to see if we can get uh, a little bit of a business development funnel going. And um, <clears throat> obviously quality of leads is important, some of these other things. And so we've been testing uh, different services with who's that can answer that problem versus me solving that problem personally. Um, so for me, it's a really easy kind of a step and I really don't have a lot of challenges just because of that simple frame. 
Yeah, that's great. That's, that's huge. And uh, have you ever read the book, The One Thing? Have you, have you touched on that? I have not, but I got to tell you, it, <laughs> it sounds like the, almost the same exact thing as The One Challenge. I mean, I've, I've talked to a few people mention it. Uh, why do you ask? You, have you? Yeah, I have. I mean, I could sum up the book right now with a quote, I believe, and I'll probably butcher it, but the point I'll come across is that what is the one thing you can do today that makes everything else easier or, un- or unnecessary? Right. You know, kind of same thought as you focus on the problem and, and what can move you forward and, uh, and then you solve it. And that's all. Otherwise, you're just, you're too dispersed, you're too widespread and uh, nothing ever gets done. Like it's, you know, I think that's another challenge that entrepreneurs normally face, right? Is uh, we spread ourselves a little too thin. Um, yeah, man. So Eric, thank you for coming on. It's, it's always a pleasure hearing your insights. I learn something every time, hands down. Where, where do people find you? Um, is there anything currently that, that you're promoting or working on right now? Um, give us, give us a lowdown. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, obviously you guys can find me in 10X Factory. Um, great community. It's a great place to find other entrepreneurs like myself and like Malzo. Um, and a great place to connect, especially during these times where maybe you don't have all the connections that you want. Um, and then in terms of the agency, that's just sweatpantsagency.com. Uh, one thing I'll say, though, Eric's kind of already said it, is, uh, you know, we don't work with everyone. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, if you have any questions, feel feel free to reach out to me, Eric at sweatpantsagency.com. More than happy to chat. I'm a very generous guy. Right on. All right, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Carlson. Thank you. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it. Whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever it may be, I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did. So please go ahead and share it. And that's how we get the word out. So it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, make an introduction, whatever it may be. You can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level5mentors.com. Lastly, if you just want to chat, you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond podcast and you can expect a lot more from us.